Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Three poems by Nyogen Senzaki. Parting. Thus have I heard. The army ordered all Japanese faces to be evacuated from the city of Los Angeles. This homeless monk has nothing but a Japanese face. He stayed here 13 springs, meditating with all faces from all parts of the world and studied the teaching of Buddha with them. Wherever he goes, he may form other groups, inviting friends of all faces, beckoning them with the empty hands of Zen. That was written May 7th, 1942. So not long before his passing on the very day of his passing. Second poem. No spring in this plateau, having sleet and rain every day. Timid hills sprinkle green by themselves whenever they meet the peeping sun. All in sudden the summer came. Days are too hot to stay home. The evacuees go out in the field, wearing their light dresses once again, and pick up tiny flowers of the wild while they search curious stones of ancient ages. And that was written also at Heart Mountain, Wyoming, in June 1945. The last poem, When I bow before the altar, offering Buddha a bunch of daffodils, the fragrance of the flowers fills the sleeves of my robe. January 10th, 1946. So this third day of our Nyogen Senzaki Jukai session. Last night's pink clouds, this morning's mist, and then breaking through Bright sunlight, blue sky for a moment. And each day we have seen more and more in the tops of the trees, new green. Do you feel it in your hearts? New green. That poem, the last poem, when I bow before the altar, offering Buddha a bunch of daffodils, the fragrance of the flowers fills the sleeves of my robe. To the left of the altar, those of you who cannot see it now can look later, is a scroll by Edo Roshi and Tani Kogetsu Roshi. And what it says is, twirling a flower, the fragrance permeates my robe. 
And the scroll to the right has two characters, one phantom, the other dream. So Roshis. And Yogen, Yogen Senzaki's name, Yogen. Nyo is like, Gen is dream or phantom. Yogen, the phantom from the Diamond Sutra's final verse. Probably some of you know it by heart. Think in this way of all this fleeting world. As a star at dawn, a bubble in a stream, a dewdrop, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom and a dream. So who was Nyogen Senzaki? Although we consider him to be the first Zen ancestor of Zazen, actual practice of Zen in America. During his lifetime, he was completely inconspicuous, unknown, except for a few devoted students. And he said, my ideal life is to become one useless mushroom. My wish is to be like a lone cloud floating freely in the blue sky. He also said, those who digest Zen well should do their work in the world without displaying any trace of Zen. Something for all of us to remember when we leave the monastery, whether we go down to pick up vegetables from, what's it called? The Rastafarian place? Walmart. Walmart. The Rastafarian Walmart. Yeah, very important. Or we go back to the city, wherever we go, back to our families. Oh, how should I bring my practice back to my everyday life? Don't display any trace of Zen. Okay? No display. Digest it well. And he also said, America has Zen all the time. Why should I meddle? So there may be a point in your life in the next week or two where you feel that what you have to say may be quite important. Remember this. Why should I meddle? Maybe you don't have the whole picture. Maybe the person you think needs your help is better off without it. Most of the time, this is true. Our being here at this monastery is really due to this mysterious karmic relationship with Nyogen Senzaki. What we know about him in terms of his life is, in fact, less important than our intimacy with 
his teachings. So I wanted to read you something uh, that he t- <clears throat> spoke that was later written up. And it's called Realization. This is from the book Namudai Bosa. Maybe this has happened to you. Someone has asked you, what is it you do there anyway? What, what's, what's enlightenment anyway? Tell me. Tell me about it. So he said, I have been asked to explain what realization is. But if it could be explained it would not be realization. While you are kneading the dough of your thoughts, you understand kneading? Juyo, can you show us, please? Show us kneading the dough. K-N-E-A-D-I-N-G. While you are kneading the dough, the dough, not the money, of your thoughts. Thoughts you know. Okay, show. While you are kneading the dough. That's right. Okay, because we love his bread. Wonderful. While you are kneading the dough of your thoughts. Does that ring home for you? While you're sitting in zazen, kneading the dough. You cannot enjoy the bread of realization. Confucius said, my friends, do you think I was hiding it from you? No, I would never do such a thing. It was only that you were unable to see it. And then Yogan Senzaki continues, walking through the forest of many thoughts, just keep on walking until you find yourself cornered in a place that admits neither of advance nor retreat. Here your knowledge will be of no avail. Even your religion will be unable to rescue you. If you are really eager To enter realization, just go straight ahead, holding tenaciously to the question, what is realization? Or what is March on bravely. Surrounded by enemies, use your own sword in the center of the battlefield, Carve out a way for yourself. There will come a time when all of a sudden you will lose hold of your sword. And at that moment, behold, you will have gained your true self. Zen is not a puzzle. It cannot be solved by wit. It is a spiritual food for those who want to learn what life is and what our mission is in this world. Why do you want to take the precepts? Mere scholarly pursuits will never lead to realization. Zen is not so much a religion as it is the essence of life itself, the naked truth of the universe, none other than the experience of mind. 
So that's Nyogen Senzaki. And I should stop there. However, it's so tempting to share more of him with you and maybe just a few details from his rather unconventional biography filled with improbable dharma happenings. So some of you know this story. In 1876, a traveling Buddhist monk found a baby lying next to the frozen body of his mother. It was northeastern Siberia, the Kamchatka Peninsula, the Kuril Islands, the home of the indigenous Ainu people, and a place that has had border disputes between Russia and Japan for the past three centuries. Perhaps this baby's mother was Ainu. Perhaps the father, a Russian soldier. In any case, the Buddhist monk put the baby in his robe and brought him to a village in Aomori Prefecture in northern Japan. And he was adopted by a shipbuilding family in the village named Senzaki. His foster mother also died when he was five. Then he went to live with his foster grandfather, who was a priest of a Pure Land temple and also a Kegon scholar and highly esteemed in the village for his virtuous deeds and deep faith. Nyogen Senzaki studied Buddhism with this grandfather. He read the Chinese classics the entire Tripitaka of Buddhist works, and wrote four-line Chinese classical poetry. And somehow this time with his father, his grandfather, was really so deeply affecting. He said, I felt as if I were dwelling always in the pure land. Prostrations and confession became my highest joy. Then when he was 16, his grandfather passed away. Before he died, he told young Nyogen, even though you may want to renounce everything and become a monk, the Buddhist priests around this area and elsewhere as well are not real Buddhists. Don't join this pack of wolves. So he continued his academic studies and went. He thought he would become a doctor. He had this strong urge to help others somehow. Then he says, while preparing for the entrance examination, I frequently thought about how in my childhood I had been fed by the offerings of the congregants, his grandfather's temple. So after my stepbrother was old enough, I relinquished my right to succeed the Senzaki property and I determined to engage in social work for the rest of my life. As you'll see, Nyogen Senzaki was the first engaged Buddhist. Then he was in junior high school and read the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. As some of you may know, we have a descendant of Benjamin Franklin on the altar, the large picture there. Yukiko Irwin, 
whose ashes are buried here at Sangha Meadow. So every night, Yogan Senzaki says, Benjamin Franklin engaged in introspection, writing down his deeds and marking the negative actions with a black dot. I imitated him and found that my notebook became full of black dots. I was depressed and disappointed in myself. I was also disappointed in the easy practice of the Pure Land School. What is the Pure Land School's practice? Reciting Amida Buddha, um, right? Namo Amidabha, Namo Amidabha. And he says, I lost my confidence. However, someone introduced me to the life of the haiku poet Basho, through which I discovered Zen. I then started my own Zen practice and began invoking Amitabha Buddha's name, just like his grandfather's school. I suddenly decided to become a monk and was ordained at a Soto Zen temple. Since in Aomori, there are only Soto school temples. Thus I shaved my head and became a Zen Buddhist monk. He was ordained on Buddha's birthday, April 8th, 1895, and given that name, Nyogen. Later, he studied under a Shingon teacher. And then mysteriously, no one quite knows how or why, <clears throat> he found himself practicing in the Rinzai Temple and Gakuji Kamakura, where the abbot was? Soenshaku. Great Soenshaku. And who else was practicing there? D.T. Suzuki, exactly. Now, Soen Shaku, as most of you know, was the first Japanese priest to come to this country. In 1893, he was invited to represent Japan at the World Parliament of Religions. And young D.T. Suzuki, the age of 25, was his official translator. Nyogen Senzaki had to leave Engakuji due to some sickness and returned to his village and started a mentor garden. What he called the mentor garden was a kind of kindergarten for the villagers' children. And there was so much poverty. And he tried to offer them not only some uh, regular scholarly children's lessons, but the deep practice of Buddhism. There was no way to he could keep it going. Everyone was poverty-stricken, and the Buddhist establishment of the area, just as his grandfather had warned him, had no use for him or his plans. Then the Sino-Russo War broke out in 1904, and it was even harder to raise funds. So he thought, well, perhaps I could get some money if I go to the United States. Maybe not everything is gold there, but I might be able to find the support I need. So he wrote to his teacher, Soin Shaku, if I live making beds... I will impart the pure fragrance of Buddha's highest wisdom. If I work as a cook, I shall pay homage to the meat to remove the sin of eating it. Whether I am a dishwasher, a shoeshine boy, or working at some other trade, Buddha's dharma will prevail. This was his idealism and his utter trust. And his teacher agreed to help. So arrangements were made 
to go to California on the same boat. So in Shaku and D.T. Suzuki, it was 1905, and they had been invited back to the States by Ida and Alexander Russell. Ida Russell had heard Soin Shaku's lecture in 1893 and was so taken by him and had such an amazingly deep experience. She became the first Zen student in America. She studied with him in Japan and, of course, invited him back to this country. But once again, Yogen Senzaki fell ill. Perhaps due to the early trials of his infancy, he had a very frail constitution. This time he had trachoma, an eye disease. So he had to wait and go later after Soinchaku and D.T. Suzuki, taking a freighter to Seattle. He made his way down to the home of the Russells, where he felt like a pariah. They must have been repulsed by his eye disease and also perhaps by this country bumpkin monk. Compared to D.T. Suzuki, not much in their eyes to esteem. So he had to leave. And before he did, his teacher told him, stay on in this strange land. Don't teach for 17 years. And then he walked away. It was very much like the tiger who pushes the cub over the cliff. It's up to you. And Soin Shaku, meanwhile, went all over the country with D.T. Suzuki translating, giving lectures. And the, the talks that he gave were published by Open Court in 1906. It was called, the book was called Sermons of a Buddhist Abbot, which was later uh, given a new title and republished as Zen for Americans. How many of you have read it? So meanwhile, here's Nyogen Senzaki trying to make ends meet, working as a dishwasher, as a field hand, as the manager for a canary show, a hotel desk person, helping the guests in the hotel, including carrying drunks up to their beds, learning social dancing so that he could be the appropriate partner as needed. And he wrote to his family uh, at that time, 1906, May 18th. The main reason for my coming to America is to transmit Zen to this country. That's why my teacher used his own pocket money to pay for my travel expenses. Although my teacher has now left San Francisco and we are apart from one another, what I am doing here now is enduring what is hard to endure, doing what is difficult to do. I have been doing all kinds of work including grooming horses. While working together with immigrants from Europe and Africa, I always tell myself that the land on which I now stand may someday become the land of Buddha Dharma. The person who punches me today may someday become a Buddha. The person who treats me with contempt may eventually become happy. It's just like the Bodhisattva never despised, who is mentioned in the Lotus Sutra. He bowed to everyone he met, saying, you will become a Buddha. 
People became angry. They thought he was making fun of them. They beat him with sticks and stones. He dodged them, but he did not stop bowing, always repeating, you will become a Buddha. And two years later, he wrote to his family, nowadays, this is 1908, the anti-Japanese movement is quite strong in California. We have been experiencing a lot of persecution. I have had to carry a pistol to protect myself. And a few times I was forced to face someone's pistol and another time a knife. Every day I work 10 hours a day in the fields on an island about 100 miles from San Francisco Bay. And in the evening, my friend and I talk about the Dharma. So Yogan Senzaki never became a part of that pack of wolves. But although he was iconoclastic toward the Buddhist establishment, his reverence for the Buddha's teachings was absolute, as was his love and loyalty for his teacher. And he was forced by circumstances to rely on nothing but the Dharma. The Bodhisattva never despised was his guide. I think many of us have continued to feel that choice plays an important role in our lives. But to come here to do session, to receive the precepts, to make this practice, this dharma, the center of our lives. To recite Tisarana every day, the three refuges. There is no choice in this. In fact, Someone said to me, I don't know why, but I knew I had to do this. And this, this is our fortunate karma. We cannot even begin to conceive of what led to our being together this Senzaki session. No matter what the difficulties are in our lives, we might say it's because of the difficulties that we are here. Yogen Senzaki started teaching in 1922, three years after his teacher's death. And 17 years after his arrival in this country, just as his teacher told him, when he had a little money, he would hire a hall and put out a few flyers and give some talk like the one I read to you. People began asking to practice with him. And he established a small zendo in 1928, which I have carried with me, he said, as a silkworm hides itself 
in its cocoon. In 1928, he wrote a letter that I wanted to share with you to a friend in Japan. He wrote, I am now sowing some inconspicuous Dharma seeds, and I will likewise end my life in this country inconspicuously. But I am convinced that 50 years from now, the seeds I have sown will sprout, and true Dharma will shine in America. I have made many sacrifices, but I am following my teacher, Soen Shaku's will, and this is the main purpose for my coming to America. I am now 52 years old. My hair has turned white. You can see on the altar, Yogin Senzaki in his white hair. Perhaps you would not recognize me. Essentially, what I am doing is Tsurubarai, cultivating the soil so that the Buddha Dharma may successfully be transplanted to America. So this life of Nyogen Senzaki's has so much to teach us. You know the saying, necessity is the mother of invention, right? We could say adversity is the mother of intention or vow. Adversity is truly our best teacher. When you think back, some of you have been alive long enough to have experienced a little adversity in your lives. Maybe right now. Anybody? No, not right now. But sometimes something comes up, right? Maybe something occurs to you. That was a hell of a time. Or you may even be saying, this is impossible. I can't get through it. Well, the great paramita of Kshanti. We will speak about the six perfections at Jukai. Kshanti, patience, patient endurance, is truly a gift that keeps on giving. And we chant every day the Bodhisattva's vow. If by chance they should turn against us and wave a pistol at us and abuse and persecute us, punch us, what should we do? Bow down with humble words in the reverent belief you can say it more loudly right who uses devices to from that has been Produced and accumulated, right? First we produce it, then we want more. Give me more of that harmful karma. Accumulating it more and more and more upon ourselves through our own 
egoistic delusion and attachment. Throw out the countless cycles of kalpa. So imagine how much patience we need. Right? To see this and to say, okay. All beings are the owners of their karma. We too. We too. The discipline of Zazen is itself purification. And we come here and we do session and we pay attention and little by little we feel, oh, I can do this. Mastering the forms is not something so that we get it right and people don't scold us, okay? Mastering the forms with clarity, with deep reverence, is about inner mastery. As you know, the wayward mind is so self-preoccupied. So we know it must be trained. Then what? In each moment's flash of our thought, there will grow a lotus flower. And each lotus flower will reveal a Buddha. Revealing, revealing, revealing. So, Yogin Senzaki has inspired generations of Dharma seekers for almost a hundred years in this country. Yet we wouldn't have known of him if he hadn't moved to Los Angeles in 1931 and met the woman who is at the center of this mandala with Nyogen Senzaki, Soen Roshi, each one of us. I set up a special di- display case in the hallway. Shubin Tanahashi. Mm, Her granddaughter sent many of those wonderful things in that case. So he met Shubin Tanahashi. And... That story is quite something. I know that many of you know the story very well of how that meeting came about and what transpired afterwards. So he had just gotten to L.A. and he had a lot of dirty clothes and he saw a laundry and he went in, left his clothes there. Nice couple said, oh, okay, come back in a few days. Weeks went by. One day, Shubin Tanahashi, who with her husband ran that laundry, saw him passing by. And she went out and she said, Reverend, you haven't come back to pick up your clothes. Everything is clean and waiting for you. What did he say? have the money. I'm sorry. I cannot. And then she said to him, I have a son who has some severe handicap. Who was she talking about? Jimmy. Hmm? Jimmy. Jimmy. In a wheelchair. Couldn't speak. Couldn't walk. Down syndrome. She said, do you think you could help me take care of him? And there will be no charge for any of your laundry. 
And that started their relationship. So what happens next? Shubin Tanahashi gets a women's magazine, and in it she finds some poems that strike her. They're so beautiful. She can't get over them. And she shows them to Nyogen Senzaki. And who are those poems by? Soa Nakagawa, a monk sitting alone in seclusion on Mount Daibosatsu near Mount Fuji when he's not practicing at Kogakuji. This is the start of their spiritual friendship. They so badly wanted to meet, but there was a period of hostilities between the United States and Japan, and soon the war would break out, so no ships could sail, and Son could not come to America, and Nyogen Senzaki could not visit him in Japan. So I wanted to read a poem by... Uh, Senzaki about that period, uh, written October 12, 1941, two months before the bombing of Pearl Harbor. He wrote, No ships cross the Pacific Ocean from Japan. We commemorate Bodhidharma in the loneliness of autumn. My brother monk does not come to America and I do not go to Japan. Listen to the incantation of the Dharani, of the Great Compassionate One. My voice is my brother's voice. Yes, all these voices come from just one throat. And they began practicing together on the 21st of every month where the local deity was venerated on Mount Daibosatsu. They began this practice of Mandala Day that we continue to do on the 21st of every month. All our voices coming from just one throat. This spiritual interrelationship garden, as Soen Roshi put it, is everywhere. And then World War II, the Holocaust, Pearl Harbor, the bombing of Tokyo, the dropping of atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And in the United States, the internment camps for all Japanese faces, as the poem I read you put it. For three years, Nyogen Senzaki was imprisoned by the United States government at Heart Mountain, Wyoming. When I was compiling the book, Eloquent Silence, I was so struck by the poems that he wrote there at Heart Mountain. Here's one that was written October 3rd, 1943, when I was one day old. Autumn came naturally to the exiled life. We commemorate again Bodhidharma, our patriarch. Four ways of conduct as he taught us to practice were carried by us during past 12 months. The seeds of Zen were planted deep and covered well with earth. Who knows? And who cares what will happen tomorrow 
in this tricky plateau. Before long, cold clouds may cover us. Snowstorm may visit us with no effect to our equanimity. And on the same page as his poem, he typed in Bodhidharma's four ways of conduct. One, requite hatred with loving kindness. Two, live within the law of causation. Three, avoid unreasonable desires. Four, make dharma the standard of life. So these teachings of Bodhidharma resonated so powerfully for him there behind the walls of those barracks. His mind was one with Buddha. Therefore, no hatred, equanimity, no matter what. And he could be a beacon for others at Heart Mountain. And this live within the law of causation, within cause and effect, not seeking a way out, being free within those walls. All the harmful karma ever committed by me since of old. This verse is so crucial for us. Sometimes it seems as though people are on automatic pilot. It's a greed, anger, and folly. Yeah, right. What? To confess. Who here has never been greedy? Hmm? Who here has never been angry? Who here is completely free of folly? We must take this verse to heart. And because Nyogen Senzaki was not enslaved by endless blind passions, because of his humility, the standard of his life was the Dharma. This is what he has given to us from Bodhidharma to Heart Mountain to Daivasatsu Mountain. His poems were written in such beautiful calligraphy. When you have a chance, you can look at Eloquent Silence, there are a number of them that are in photographs. And on each one he would type his own translation into English using the little typewriter that his disciple and editor Ruth Strout McCandless had given to him. Just after Eloquent Silence came out in 2008, her son Duncan, who was very helpful to me, um, in using some of the materials from his mother. He wrote me saying, Congratulations and thanks. I have such a warm feeling about the book, and I find I am so emotional about that period, the war and the injustices perpetrated on Yogin Senzaki and all those others. Then I received a letter from someone named Lawson Fusao Inada. 
the poet laureate of the state of Oregon, who was at the time professor emeritus at Southern Oregon University and had been imprisoned in an internment camp when he was a child. So in the early 2000s, he was driving through Cody, Wyoming, and he stopped at the Buffalo Bill Cody Museum. Has anyone been there? <laughs> Amazing, right? Did you see the stones? He saw a collection of stones that had been found in a barrel at Heart Mountain. And on each stone was a word in brushwork by Nyogen Senzaki. You'll have to go back. Then Professor Inada wrote a poem called Picking Up Stones. It was inspired by the poem he saw in Eloquent Silence that I read to you. That began, no spring in this plateau, and ended, and pick up tiny flowers of the wild while they search curious stones of ancient ages. A few months ago, a new book about those internment camps came out. It's called American Sutra, A Story of Faith and Freedom in the Second World War by Duncan Mukin Williams. And he speaks about another priest at Heart Mountain, perhaps a Nichiren priest, who was also writing on stones, but says that the words on those stones were passages from the Lotus Sutra. Although he begins the book with a passage about Nyogen Senzaki, evidently he didn't know about those stones from that barrel. So Anada's poem, would you like to hear it? Okay. Maybe you need to stand up first. Sometimes we say you better sit down for this. It's somewhat long. Okay. Nyogen Senzaki, the erstwhile Zen teacher, he had no degrees, didn't call himself master. While interned in Wyoming, he didn't call himself internee either went about gathering pebbles and writing words on them. Common words in Japanese with a brush dipped in ink. Then he'd return them to their source as best he could. The ink would wash and no harm was done. However, several residents, likewise elderly, with nothing better to do, observed his practice and set about collecting the sensei's stones. It became a kind of game to pass the time to seek and find, like an eastern eggless hunt. And even in the confines of camp, possibilities were endless. For Senzaki, without having to resort to trickery, would simply scatter his gathering. And it was difficult to tell which was which, his pebbles, just plain pebbles, or those which in his hands had remained mute, dictating silence. And it was an amusing sight to see these old people shuffling about in dust, mud, snow, sleet, sometimes even crushing ice with their feet, with their eyes to the ground, bent on pursuing the old man's path, giving everything close inspection, pausing occasionally to smile, exclaim, even laugh, and essentially 
going around putting rocks in their pockets. Still, as they put it, this place was perfect for pebbles, so rich with rounded stones, some of which reflected the colorful proximity of Yellowstone itself, likewise ministered by their government. Moreover, pebble searching had resulted in enlightening arrowhead finds, inspiring some elders to try their hand at chipping obsidian in this land where the buffalo roamed. Eventually, in respectable homes, some of those stones assumed resting places on special mantles and shelves, worthless souvenirs, certainly, of only sentimental value. For although the rocks may speak to some of distant days, of generations past, like many milestones, they're still just anonymous rocks with faded words on them. Make, teaching, house, scent, greed, young, seed, leave, nothing, everything, change, east, pray, parents, universe, Shine, listen, respect, knowledge, mind. And as for Senzaki, he died in obscurity, an old dishwasher with few friends, resting perhaps among headstones in Los Angeles, a city zen of sorts, of the earth one who spoke broken English and wrote on some stones while leaving others alone. On April 8th, Buddha's birthday again, 1949, Yogan Senzakians and Soen Roshi were finally able to meet in San Francisco and had several visits after that. And Senzaki himself made his one and only <coughs> trip back to Japan in 1955, visiting Soen Roshi at Yutakuji, where he was now abbot, and brought Ruth Strout McCandless with him and another student. And once again, illness struck, and he couldn't accompany Soen Roshi and his students on their travels in Japan, nor perhaps would he have wanted to. He had no interest in going to those various important temples. Returning to the States, he lived another three years, passed away May 7th, 1958. And this session, this Jukai session, you know, it's not about the Rakasu. It's not about memorizing the sutras, although you'd better. It's not about the robes or any of the outer forms. It's having the heart and the vow of a bodhisattva, being humble, being clear, being helpful, 
being true. And when one goes hand in hand with the other, the form, the inner heart, then whether we are monk or a layperson, we are carrying forth this lamp of Dharma. This was Nyogen Senzaki's life. This was his gift to us. And the inconspicuous seeds that he had sown nearly a century ago not only have sprouted, but look around. Blossoming, blossoming, even sleep, blossoming, (laughs) blossoming, even confused, blossoming, blossoming, even hungry, in pain. What an incredible thing to be here with Yogan Sanzaki. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.